Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. So, it's good to have you with us this morning, and uh, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, I wanted to share some thoughts for Thanksgiving today. I love Thanksgiving, it's a great holiday. You know, um, uh, it's a time where you just share it with your family, your friends, the church family. You don't have to buy anybody a present, you know, you don't have to go shopping. Uh, I guess now you can go shopping, but you don't have to go shopping. And um, it's just a good day and a good celebration, a good tradition that we have to give God thanks. But let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we open your word. We pray your blessing upon us. We pray your blessing on your word, that we might truly hear your words this morning. It might speak to our hearts, Father, and that most of all, we would live by them in this week to come. Again, we thank you for the freedom we have, that we can gather. We know we have brothers and sisters around the world today who do not share this freedom. They meet in danger. Uh, they meet uh, sometimes with loss of life, loss of jobs, with harassment. And we pray for them today and strengthen them. But we thank you for the freedom we have, and we don't take it lightly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and uh, verse 6 is an interesting verse that, jumping in the middle of a context here, Paul says to Timothy as a, a pastor, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. And I looked at that passage today as I was studying that uh, to be a good minister of Christ Jesus. And I have to confess, I didn't really feel like a very good minister of, of Christ Jesus this week, and I'll have to confess and tell you why. A couple weeks ago, I held up a book here in, in the service on the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I, I held that up because we were talking on Veterans Day about um, the courage to uh, you know, stand against evil and so on. We talked a little bit about the background. It's a nice hardbound book. We have two copies in our church library. We had two copies in our church library. Because after church, I sat that down in the office by the paper cutter. I'm 98.5% sure I sat it right next to the copy, the, copy, the, the uh, paper cutter so I could return it Monday morning. I came in Monday morning, and it was gone. So somebody picked it up by accident, or somebody stole it. <laughs> Or whatever. So if you have that book, would you please turn it in the library? Because otherwise I have to buy a new copy of that book. <clears throat> so anyway, but as I was looking for that book, because I, I was 98.5% sure there's a, there's a slight chance I could have misplaced it somewhere else. So I went through all the shelves in my office, all my books, and I have quite a few. And, um, and as I was looking, I, I came across this book, and, and this is the pang of, of uh, guilt and why I don't, this being a good pastor, I, I, I pulled this book off my shelf and all of a sudden I remembered. I got a letter in 1982 when I was at Bre- and, uh, Bethesda Church in Minneapolis and I was a Christian education pastor there. I got a letter from the church library in Seattle that said I had an overdue book. <coughs> and, <laughs> and they were trying to clear up the records and would I please return it. <laughs> and so I made sure I brought this back from Minneapolis with me. And I put it on my shelf in my office when I was a Christian ed director. And I moved over to the pastor's office. And I put it in there. 
and I found this book this week. <laughs> and would you believe what it is? The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. <laughs> There's a little disclaimer in the book, which is, which I, I think is, is, you know, that says uh, this is from the Pastor Peterson era. We, uh, when I was growing up here, we recommend this book for your encouragement, and inspiration, but do not necessarily endorse all the doctrinal matters. And I, I just say that because that's true. That'd be the, the case today. Um, then this book is my library card. I found my library card in this book because. <laughs> In those days, we had a library card that said, James Shamaria is entitled to draw books from the Bream Church Library. And on it are all, not anymore, right? And on this card are all the dates that I checked out books. You guys can see this, Rachel, right? See that there? All the dates I checked out books and I returned the books. And you'll notice on here, it says, on January 19th, I paid a 20 cent fine because I had a book two days overdue. And then on May 4th, 1969, I paid a 10-cent fine for a book overdue. And I turned the card over, and I checked the book out on February 14th, 1971, and I never returned it. <laughs> but that is not this book. <laughs> now, that one we're going to excuse, because I was a senior in high school, um, and I was madly in love with a young lady who everybody else, you know, I was a young girl, she was 16, I was 18, and so we can excuse that one, right? <laughs> we got married, you know, we're still in love. Um, and uh, However, there's no excuse for April 17, 1977, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, because I was an elder in the church. <clears throat> I checked it out, and I duly was notified it was overdue. And it was 10 cents a week fine in those days, so I did the math. And I owe $138.20 for this book. <clears throat> However, I spoke to our church librarian this morning and said, do we, is Gunny here? I don't know. I said, do we still charge uh, fines? And she says, no, we don't charge fines anymore. I just scold you. <laughs> so. I am thankful this Thanksgiving for a church that teaches the grace of God. <laughs> and I'm going to replace that book. And if you could help me replace the other book, we'll be all squared away. And I will feel as a good minister of Jesus Christ. If you point these things out, brothers, you will be a good minister. But what Paul wanted to point out to the people that, that Timothy was with in Ephesus had nothing to do with... Um, Books and fines, but it did have to do with legalism and, uh, and the law and grace. And it's interesting that this is Thanksgiving week, and I mentioned, you know, I love Thanksgiving uh, week, and um, it's a great holiday. And it's interesting, we're going to talk about food this morning um, as we look at this passage. So here's what, here's, we're going to back up now. Here's what Paul is told to point out to the people. And if he does this, if he points this out to the people, he will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Now here's what he is to point out to the people at Ephesus. Timothy point out, verse 1 of chapter 4. The Spirit clearly says that in the later times some will abandon the faith 
follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now that that's pretty strong language, right? I mean, that is pretty strong language. In the last days, people will be deceiving. They will abandon the faith. They will, things taught by demons, hypocritical liars, conscience seared with a hot iron. Think of a, I remember one time our first trip to Israel, we, 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 were, we, we brought an iron, a travel iron with us, and I plugged it in the wall, and I picked it up, and ah, burn, I dropped it, and it hit the carpet and put a burn spot in the carpet in this brand new Moshev uh, we were staying at. Well, I forgot to, I forgot that it was 220 and not 110, and so the, the iron just took off. It was hot. It seared the carpet, and the guy forgave me when I explained. I went and told him what happened, but it seared. I always remember that. I just seared it. And left an imprint of a travel iron in this brand new carpet. And, and Paul says, this, this is what it's like. Their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. What's interesting to me are the examples he gives of this dastardly attitude that these people are going to have in the last times. Look at the, the, two, the two particular examples he gives. Number one, they forbid people to marry... That's number one. And order them to abstain from certain foods. Now, isn't it interesting that as strong as this language is, and of all the things that he could have drawn out and said, this is what the last days are going to be like, and it's already happening, Timothy. And incidentally, my own personal opinion, when Paul talks about these last days, he talks to these people as if they are living in these last days. And I think that's true. These are the last days, and they have been. This age, this epoch, this era before before the Messiah returns and before the new heavens and the new earth, as we look down the road to what the Bible teaches about the future, this is the last age, if you will. This is the last epoch, the last era. And we are already, Paul is already living in that. We are continuing to live in that. And he picks out these two. Why would he pick out forbidding to marry and abstaining from foods of all things he could have talked about. Well, I think what we have here is what's happening in the churches in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey, and around the world. Uh, we've seen this in our class that we're teaching on Sunday school and Sunday morning from Galatians, and we see this in the New Testament, that what they are dealing with is this legalism. And this legalism is dangerous. It's deadly to a church. It's serious. And the legalism has to do with things that the Bible does not teach that are, that are moral or immoral, but that are, that are habits, customs, traditions, in the case of the Mosaic Law, different things. And you have this asceticism that if somehow you practice what I practice, and if I abstain from certain things, and if, and if you want to be as spiritual as me, then you will abstain from these things as well. And this is, this is happening in the church, that they are teaching and preaching, and people are invading and, and, and spreading this in the church, that if, if you, you have to quit doing this, and you have to give up this, and you have to do this, in order to be fully accepted before God, in order to be fully spiritual, in order to really attain in a, to, the, to the heights of spiritual uh, maturity that God would have you to have. 
And Paul is against this and fights against it throughout his letters, throughout his experiences, throughout his ministry. This legalism and this asceticism, this law keeping and these things that are not essential, that are not moral, that are not given by God, that are tearing people's faith apart, that are tearing churches apart. Now, I want to talk about the second one this morning. And the first one about marriage, you know, the Bible and, and, and we teach the Bible does not does not uh, condemn singleness. That's not the issue here. The, the point is there are those who are forbidding to marry and saying it's wrong to marry. And, of course, the teaching of the scripture is that in our era, the church age, the body of Christ, it is neither wrong to marry or or is it, is it have to be married? Married in singleness, there is no difference. We, let, we read in Galatians this morning. Paul says in the, in the body of Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, free nor slave, male or female. We could add married or single, young or old. His point is there is a unity in the body of Christ. And nobody has a right to say everybody must or nobody must. And so that is going on in this early church. There are those who are saying it is wrong to marry. You shouldn't marry. And, of course, we knew there was, a, there was an element in Judaism, the Essene community, who evidently, this is the Essene community, the ones that left us many of the Dead Sea Scrolls. We knew that it was a, uh, in this particular group, it was a celibate group. Um, you know, there is a point at which you have to ask if a whole group is celibate, how are they ever going to continue? I mean, at some point, you know, they have to have children. But for the Essene community, they evidently were, for the most part, celibate or taught that, it appears. So Paul says, no, that is not. But look at the second one. It's interesting, the second one. And this is one that we read that just seems to dog Paul in his ministry, is this food issue. You see it crop up in the epistles. You see it in the book of Acts, this issue of food. And what we can and what we can't eat. And I was thinking about this, especially uh, yesterday we were here getting ready. Our class, our peer group was in charge of the Thanksgiving dinner this year. And we were here setting up. I was on the setup or decorating or whatever it was, tables. Um, the group in the kitchen, they're in there working like crazy. And they've got all this beautiful, it's going to be a great dinner. We're having these wonderful pork roasts. They had all the meat out there. They were making up these big potato dishes. They're, you know, it's just going to be great. And all that food. And, you know, food is, is, is an important part of our lives, isn't it? Food is an important part of our lives. Um, and, and Paul says here that there are people who are ordering to abstain from certain food. But I want you to look in verse 3, right in the middle of it. This is what I want you to get this this morning. To abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. And we're going to see this word repeated twice in this passage, connected with food, and that is thanksgiving. You know, our Thanksgiving holiday, our Thanksgiving tradition, uh, is a great tradition. And we know, we know the story, and of course, like all early stories, there are some things that have been you know, um, accentuated and so forth. But, you know, the story of the pilgrims that came to America clearly was a story of people who came for religious freedom. They came here for the freedom to worship and not be bound by the state church in England. They came here, they came here, and, and the Puritans, you know, the, the Puritans, sometimes in our culture, 
People will make disparaging remarks like, oh, they're very puritanical or pure, as if that's somehow negative. The Puritans, if you read their history, the Puritans were actually a very progressive, positive uh, force for the Christian church. They were one of the early groups who cared deeply about the poor and, and, and social issues. It was this Puritan background that, that, that enriched so much the, the Christian experience in, in our country and in our culture. And the Puritans and, and, the, and, the, and the pilgrims, they, they came here in this background that the whole Malou, they came out of. The pilgrims came here for religious freedom, to, to, to be free from the state religion and to free to worship God as they understood the Bible to teach. And hence, we have this, this, this history, and of course we know some of the history about when it was declared officially holiday and so forth, of Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is, is, is a holiday where we stop and we celebrate and we give God thanks for his blessings to us. And of course the blessings they shared with the Native Americans at first Thanksgiving who helped them and helped provide food in a very, very a desperate situation where so many died and so many didn't survive that first year here in, 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 in the colonies in the, in the New World. And Paul says that God has created food. And it's been created to be received with thanksgiving, but notice, by those who believe and who know the truth. And the truth is that we are not bound by legalistic standards. I, I am not in a place to tell you if you really want to be spiritual, you have to do what, what I do. You have to eat what I eat. You have to practice what I, you have to wear what I wear. Paul says here, look what he goes on to say in this passage. And this is an amazing, this is an amazing verse. Verse 4. For everything God created is what? Good. Everything. There's no outs there. Everything. God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. And then Paul says, Timothy, if you teach these things, you will be a good pastor. You will be a good minister if you teach God's people these things. And again, of all things, this area of marriage and food, because they represent this bigger issue of legalism and aestheticism and trying to accomplish by our human standards some standing before God. But this is quite an interesting, this is quite an interesting passage, and I thought it would be a good Thanksgiving meditation for us this morning for us to think about. First of all, this phrase, everything God created is good. Do you believe that? Everything. Now listen, we know, you know, there is a lot of not good things in this world. There are a lot of not good things in your life. There are a lot of evil and sinful things in this world. But the Bible says everything God created is good. What would be the basis for, for Paul saying that? What would be the basis for Paul stating that everything God created is good? Now, we know that in the first century there was a philosophy, and, in, and these also impacted Christianity, of what we call dualism that actually there was a good God and there was a bad God. 
There was a God who created the good things, and there was a God who created the bad things. And there are all sorts of shades and varieties of this philosophy and this teaching, and some of this invaded the Christian church. The, the Bible has no place for this type of dualism. God did not create good things, and God created bad things. Did God create Satan? Yes. But we believe God created Satan as, as a good thing, a good angel. Did he know what was going to happen? Of course he did. That's the sovereignty of God. And we have to leave that there. But Paul clearly says everything God created is good. Where would that come from? Genesis. Exactly. Genesis. Well, I could take time to read it this morning, but you know that in Genesis, after days of creation, God created this and God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God created the, the, the sky and the heaven and the moons and the stars. God created the, 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 the sea and the fish that are in it. God created the, the, the seed-bearing plants and the vegetation. God created the animals. God created, God created. And everything God created, God saw that it was good. There was only one thing that is stated was not good. What was that? Huh? You remember what it is? Man should not be alone. He created man, and man, and that was good. But then he saw that, that man was by himself. Man was different from the animals, and God said, this, this is not good. So God created woman and said, this is good. So in the Old Testament, the Bible clearly teaches us that everything God created was good. And this harkens back to this perfection, this goodness that God created when he created our world, when God created us. And Paul says that everything God created is good. Can it be used for bad? Can it be misused? Can anything God created for good be misused and become bad? Of course it can. You know that and I know that. And we know how we sometimes struggle with those temptations to take the things that God created for good and and use them for bad. And usually the bad has to do with self with selfishness, with pride, with, with, with our own selves, what we want. God created everything good. And notice the second thing Paul says. And he's talking about food here. Because there are those people who are saying this food is bad. And that food is bad. Now we know under the Mosaic system, there were foods that the Jews were not allowed to eat. For example, they were not allowed to eat pork. They were not allowed to eat shellfish. They were not allowed to eat unclean animals. That's what keeping kosher is all about. That Mosaic law was set aside. And the Apostle Paul, as he went to the Gentile world and brought the message of the grace of God, every place he went, this popped up as an issue. Yes, Paul, we know, we know, we know. But they have to keep kosher, right? No. If you want to, that's fine. If you want to continue to do that, that's fine. I'm not telling you you have to eat pork. But you don't impose that on these people because we are now free from those laws. They serve their purpose. That purpose is over. God created everything for good. And Paul says, you can eat anything. And he hearkens back to Genesis that predates, of course, the Mosaic Law, where God saw that it was good. And notice the second thing that he says. All of God's good creation is to be received in verse 3 God created it to be received 
with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Even though this food issue continues to dog Paul in his ministry wherever he goes, it becomes an example. Circumcision and food become the ones that go up the flagpole that are just so important that have to be constantly dealt with in the, in the Jewish and non-Jewish issues. But this area of food is just so critical and so important. And it, it's this illustration of God created everything to be received. Listen, friends, as believers in Christ, as a family of God, as, as, as Christians, of all people, we should be people who acknowledge and enjoy everything God has given us. Of all people who should acknowledge and enjoy God's beautiful creation, everything in this world and this life and our experience that, that reminds us of God's goodness is to be enjoyed. That's the wonderful thing about Thanksgiving. What is Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is, is a holiday that we remember and enjoy God's blessings to us. We, we make, you know, we have our special, every, I bet every family here, I, I bet you if you go back through history, you may have certain foods that, that your family has that and maybe you don't have other times of year, right? We have a food at our Thanksgiving called tomato jello. And when I say that, when we, it's really good. Teresa's mom made it. I think her grandparents made it. probably came from Sweden or something. No? Oh, she, she said, okay, I'm getting the word. Be careful. All right. <laughs> I'm getting that look. It says, no, that's enough, Jim. Okay, let's move on. Okay. But my son-in-law, who's not here right now, I think he's probably with the kids. Uh, oh, there he is. Okay, Chris. All right, never mind. All right, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> He is going to enjoy tomato jello. Anyway, it's just something we have at, at, uh, at Thanksgiving. We don't have any other time of year. We have several dishes that, because it's our tradition, it's, it's, it's our history. It's part of enjoying God's blessings. We enjoy our family. Our family is sort of spread around the country now. Um, Emily and Chris are here, and, and my brother will join us. And we enjoy our family. What do you, you know, Thanksgiving is a time to, to celebrate and remember God's Wonderful blessings to us. Family, friends, church family, a country where we're still free. Food, clothes, the simple thing. You know, you're, you're all here today. Somehow you got here. Some of you, it was really easy to hop up, get dressed, and get to church. Some of you, it was a little more difficult. It was a little more challenging, but you're here. You know, I spend a lot of time as a pastor visiting people. In situations where they are not able to get up and come. And one of the things I hear over and over again, oh, how I miss church. Is, is Doris here today? Did she come? Did she make it? She'll be here tonight. Doris Myers. I talked to Doris yesterday. Doris hasn't been here for over five months since she had her accident and she hurt her hip. And, uh, you know, I hear this over and over again, how I miss just being at church and with God's family. Do you know how many people would give anything today to be able to get up and go to church, go to a meal, enjoy their family, come and, and, and spend time, uh, come to dinner tonight. The simple things in life that we so often take for granted, that of all people we should enjoy and give God thanks. And I know there are a lot of things in your lives this morning, there's some challenging things, some difficult things, and we share those together. But there are a lot of good things that God has blessed you with. 
And Paul says here, everything God created is good. And people who, are, who believe and who know the truth should receive those things with thanksgiving. You know, I think about food. And I, think, I, I was just kind of going back randomly through the scriptures and thinking about, think of all the stories in the Bible that have to do with people gathering around food. Jacob and Esau, that was, that was kind of a tricky one. That, was, that wasn't so great. Joseph and his brothers. David, when he invited Mephibosheth to eat at his table. Abraham, when the angels came in and he told, go, go prepare a, a feast, go prepare that, slaughter that, that, that animal, and let's, we'll have a meal together. Jesus, and all the stories of involving his disciples and his friends around meals, around food. The Passover, the first Passover, which was a meal that celebrated God's deliverance. And the last Passover, the one that, that Christ celebrated, that, that would celebrate God's deliverance. The stories in, in Paul's letters and, and, and his friends in the book of Acts. And then you've got the book of Revelation and the marriage, the feast of the, of the, of the, of the bride of Israel with, with God. And throughout the scriptures, we constantly see these stories that involve food. Why? Because food and the enjoyment of it is something that every day is a, is a celebration of God's goodness and God's blessing and God's creation and everything that God made is good. And it is good for us to give thanks and to celebrate what God has done for us. And then finally, look at the third thing. This is kind of interesting. He says in verse 4, Everything God created is good, nothing to be rejected if, if, and here's the condition, it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated. Now think of that. Think of the food that, that you are going to share even today at lunch and when you come back for dinner tonight and for Thanksgiving this week and throughout the week because it is consecrated by, number one, the Word of God and prayer. How is food consecrated by the Word of God? How is our meal this evening going to be consecrated by the Word of God? Is it because of teaching about food? Or is it back to that word of God in Genesis and God created and God saw that it was good. God has declared it's been consecrated by God. It is good. But you notice also by prayer. And we have a habit as, as, as a family of God. And I know it's a habit and I think it's a good habit. We always pray before our meals. If Teresa and I go out for lunch and we, and we just say a brief prayer before we, we eat our lunch at a restaurant, when we're at home, I mean, it's, it's not a long, flowery, it's not a, you know, everybody's different. And you don't have to pray the way I pray, and I have to pray the way you pray, but there's something about just taking time, it's a good habit, friends, to just stop and to give God thanks. The Lord Jesus Christ. Gary reminded us last week, it's called the Eucharist in some traditions, and historically it was called that, because that's what it says. Jesus broke the bread, and he gave what? Thanks. He probably said a Jewish prayer that the Jews would say before they would eat a meal. And the word here, this word Eucharista, is, is the word here for thanks. God has asked us, 
to acknowledge that everything he has made is good. He has asked us to receive the good things by his word and by thanksgiving and to give thanks. And when we do that, and when, this is what it says here. When we pray and give thanks, it consecrates that food. It doesn't do anything magically for it. It doesn't change it. It doesn't make it spiritual. But it is consecrated. It is dedicated. Our, 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 our gifts that God has given us are dedicated to God when we acknowledge where they're from and when we give thanks. Listen, friends, we have so much to be thankful for. And one of the things that we have to be thankful for as Christians is our freedom in Jesus Christ. Can that be abused? Of course it can. Can we use it for bad? Yes, we can. Is eternal security, is forgiveness for sins a dangerous doctrine? Can it be? Yes, it can. But it can be the most wonderful and blessed way to live. To know that we are free in Christ to enjoy all the good things that God has blessed us with. And of all people, we should be the ones who truly enjoy God's good gifts. It's a story that the Lord Jesus Christ told a parable. It told a story of, of well, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't a parable. It was a, this, was a, this was one of his historical accounts. He's going from Galilee to Jerusalem. And as he's going along, there's ten lepers who call out from a distance. And they call out and say, Lord, have mercy on us. Heal us. And they have to call out because as we looked at a few weeks ago about lepers, they weren't allowed to get any closer to Jesus. They had to keep their distance. They had to call across the world. Lord, have mercy on us. Do something for us. Ten of them. And Jesus yelled back at them and said, go show yourself to the priests. Because a leper under the Jewish law, if, they, if, if that skin blemish, that skin disease cleared up, they had to go to the priest. The priest had to look at it and say, yes, you are clean. Now go wash, go do this, go do that. And you are welcome back in, into the community. And so by Jesus saying, go show yourself to the priest, he was saying, okay, I've healed you. You're clean. Go show yourself to the priest. And, and, and those guys looked at themselves and, and all of a sudden, I don't know what happened. I don't know if all of a sudden they could see their flesh just change. If they could see the wholeness and the health come back into their body. If they could feel the power of God that come over them. But it was so powerful and so amazing that you can imagine these, these guys, they turned and they ran to the priest. They left. They were probably leaping and shouting and, and, and they were... They could go back to their family. They could go back to their loved ones. They could enjoy everything else that everybody else in that Jewish community enjoyed. They could go back and they leave and one leper comes walking back. One healed leopard comes back and he stops before Jesus. And he says, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. And you remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples? Weren't there ten of them? He didn't have to preach a sermon. He said, weren't there, weren't there ten? Weren't there ten? And only one has come back. And that one was a Samaritan. Only this one Samaritan, who we all hate. You know, I say a tongue-in-cheek. We as Jews, we, we don't get along. We don't like these people would sort of indicated the other nine were fellow Jews. 
And Jesus said, only this one Samaritan could come back and, and say thank you. Where are the other nine? Of all, of all people, God's people, the other nine, they should have come back. But only one came back. And Jesus said, friend, your faith has made you whole. One came back. And you know, I think we have to, I think we all have to acknowledge, I think we all have to, I'll be the first to acknowledge that I am not as thankful as I should be. I am not as thankful. I, I complain. I get upset. I can grouse about politics and about this and about traffic and about that and about everything else that I can think of to complain about. And just like, just like you, we, we can do that. But I want you to think today of what do you have to be thankful for? What do you have to be thankful for? What are the positive things that God has put in your life that are gifts from God that of all people, as Christians, people should look at us and say, wow, that person is really thankful. That person is really thankful. And I'm reminded, and I close with this, in Philippians, that the Apostle Paul, this passage that I pretty much read routinely because of what it is, when I go visit people who are in difficult situations, nursing homes, can't get out, and, and, and we are reminded that, that Paul says that uh, in, in, in Philippians, uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with, huh? Thanksgiving. With Thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, if anything is good, anything excellent, anything praiseworthy, think about these things. And then Paul goes on to say, I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I have learned, I have learned to have little, I have learned to have a lot, I have learned the secret of being content. The last visit I made this week in a nursing home with one of our friends from church and came time to leave. We visited and took his hand and we prayed together. I'd read this passage. We prayed together and I said amen and thought we were done. And he started praying. Slow, deliberate, and just thanking God for the roommate he had that had just left. It was very touching. I was ready to go. You know, I thought we were done. And, 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 I, and I was there to minister to him. And in those moments of this kind of quietness, where we kind of continued and the prayer was so deliberate, he was thanking God. He was thanking God. As a pastor, I have the privilege of being reminded all the time of how thankful we can be to God for what he has given us. You have so much to be thankful for. I have so much to be thankful for. And if anybody on this earth should radiate and show that thankfulness, it should be us. Give God thanks. Give God thanks. You're going to join us for dinner tonight. It's going to be a great time. 
We're going to gather around good food and friendship, and we're going to give God thanks. Let's close our service, Gary, with the song you picked out for us as we continue to thank God with this song that I think we all know so well, which is part of our Christian story. We stand with us one last. I, I don't know if I if I did mention I I do plan to order a new copy of this from uh, Christian Book Discount because this one's falling apart, but. It's a lot cheaper than $138.20. I can guarantee you that. So I'm thankful. But good to have you with us this morning. And I just want you to know that uh, God offers you forgiveness for sins and eternal life through Jesus Christ who died on the cross and paid for your sins. And if you're here today and you've never received forgiveness for sins, I ask you today, why wouldn't you? This would be the most wonderful Thanksgiving you would ever have to know that you are forgiven. And that you're going to be in heaven for all eternity because Christ died for you. And all you need to do, like the thief on the cross who expressed his faith. He didn't understand it all, but he, he, he knew enough to say, Lord, remember me. He put his faith in what Christ was doing on that cross. And that's all God asks of you. To have faith in Christ's death, burial, resurrection was for you and paid for your sins. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for this church family, for our visitors who are with us today. Uh, We want to thank you for every good gift that you have given us. Lord, we are such a blessed people. Even with the challenges that I know many have today, when we stop and think of the blessings, we can certainly say with the Apostle Paul that that we, we can learn that secret of being content and being thankful and knowing how good you are. We love you. We look forward to a good week of walking with you this week. And I just pray, Father, if there be anybody here today who does not have Christ as their Savior, has not received forgiveness for sins, that in this quiet moment they would simply say yes to God. They would look to you, and they would receive your forgiveness for sins and receive Christ's payment on the cross of Calvary for their sin. We leave this place rejoicing in your name, and all God's people can say it together. Amen. Amen.